Kerry Phipps here with a quick pre-podcast conversation. So my guest, Andrea, would you like to introduce yourself properly? Because we didn't get to your bio until like halfway through the episode. <laughs> sure. My name is Andrea Flack Weatherald. I am a social worker turned comedian and author of the book, The Funny Thing About Forgiveness, What Every Leader Needs to Know About Improv, Culture, and the World's Least Favorite F-Word. And I just loved our conversation. So I don't want to hold anyone up from that, but I just want to ask you, Andrea, what was your favorite thing about our conversation today? And why would people want to listen to this podcast episode? I am so appreciative of your questions about why pair forgiveness and improv together. I think that the journey of finding improv and doing so much important forgiveness work in my own life uh, certainly was such a valuable learning experience for me. So I hope that um, your listeners will enjoy just coming to a new understanding of what forgiveness can be and how improv is so much more than fart jokes. Thank you so much, Andrea. Let's just jump into the conversation. So then all of a sudden, it's just like this world of possibility, like the, the idea of what if was introduced into my life and this whole spirit of curiosity instead of judgment and just what an incredibly beautiful thing it is to believe that we can build something unexpected together no matter what, like yeah. how freaking freedom creating is that? Hello, my friends, and welcome to Connect with Confidence podcast. And, you know, I always start this podcast like excited. I'm thrilled to introduce you to somebody amazing. And oh, I feel like today's next level. I feel like um, this author I'm about to introduce you to is she's changing my world. She's been in my world for like all of less than a week. And I'm, I'm like sort of on the verge of tears and on the verge of laughing at the same time. So please, please, um, well, make welcome. Just imagine, Andrea, everyone's applauding right now. <laughs> so here is my brand new friend, Andrea Weatherold. And I know you have a longer name than that, but I just read what's on LinkedIn, on, on Zoom, because your name's disappeared. Andrea, oh, it's okay. Andrea, Andrea Flack, Flack Weatherold. Weatherold. <laughs> yes. I knew that until like suddenly I saw your name looking at me on it's Zoom. It's okay. And I'm like, Where's I forgive you. <laughs> no, that's so appropriate. Thank you. You are walking the talk. <laughs> <laughs> because Andrea's book is called um, The Funny Thing About Forgiveness. Oh, my gosh. And tell us the, the subtitle before I mess that up, because I love that too. Oh, thank you. The subtitle is What Every Leader Needs to Know About Improv, Culture, and the World's Least Favorite F Word. Oh, my gosh. So I saw this on LinkedIn. And uh, shout out to Isabel Pollan, who is a recent guest on the podcast also. I don't know if I told you that, Andrea. I think you did, yeah. I connected with Isabel and it was a very uh, short time that I knew her on LinkedIn before maybe it was immediately I just went, let's chat on my podcast. <laughs> so this happens sometimes. So I'm the author of Do Talk to Strangers, How to Connect with Anyone Anywhere. And, and the latest book is How to Talk to Strangers to Decrease Anxiety, oh, cool. Build Confidence and Make a Bigger Difference in the World. So yeah, it's a long subtitle. Um, you know, if you thought yours was long and if anyone- I judged, love a good long subtitle. I love a lot. I mean, if it's not pretty much a sub chapter, I'm like, what's it even doing here? Yeah. <laughs> well, it kind of says what the book is about, you know, like decreasing anxiety, mm -hmm. building confidence and making a bigger difference in the world. And, and I'm, I know I started 
talking about Isabel in relation to that, but uh, this is what you're doing as well. So anyway, sometimes, yes, it happens that I talk to a stranger on my podcast and we become friends. So although just in five minutes of setting up with you and putting my earrings on as we're talking and putting my little bit of lipstick on as I'm talking to you and feeling like very unprofessional, but just like I'm hanging out with a bestie already. (laughs) (laughs) So I've just started reading the funny thing about forgiveness. The, The paperback is in the mail and I cannot wait. I feel like this is going to be the book of 2023 for me. So there's going to be a few shout outs about it online over the next I don't know how many months but in 2020 I think 2021 Jamil Zaki's book The War for Kindness Building Mm -hmm. Empathy in a Fractured World I have shared that book so many times I just feel like such an important book and this morning I'm just doing a few laps in the pool and I'm thinking I've only read a few chapters of this book I think I'm still in chapter one the introduction was incredible the foreword was incredible and you can tell us about that Um, sure (laughs) so yeah tell us about it I'm just gonna stop talking so what I love is that when something needs to exist the pieces fall into place yes and I had known that I wanted to be an author for a long time but I, my kids are very young and at the time they were still in foster care. And so my life was just busy, just lots of appointments and, and all of this. And somebody reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, the content that you share needs to be a book. Are you open to that? And I was like, hell yeah, let's do that then. And then in the process of like, okay, well, we're going to put together a book proposal to pitch to publishers. One of the things in the template was like, do you know any celebrities that could write a forward? Because I still don't have a huge platform, but I had a way smaller platform at the time. And I was like, no, do people just know celebrities? (laughs) Like, does somebody fill out this form and they're like, yeah, I'll have to choose, but probably hurt someone's feelings, but sure. (laughs) Um, So I was like feeling sort of, I don't know what to do about this. And then the producer of Act Social reached out to me through my website. Act Social is a movie that's starring Colin Mockery from Whose Line Is It Anyway? And it's all about using improv to build bridges. And it specifically is like in the United States. I don't know if you and your listeners have heard, but we pretty much hate each other over here. (laughs) And there's just like constant fighting between Democrats and Republicans and just lots of hate and lots of fear, lots of divided families, lots of divided churches. And I'm sure that America doesn't have the market cornered on that. But like a true American, I pretty much only know what's happening here. So <laughs> um, anyhow, so they produced this movie that was about like, can we take improv classes together and figure out how to be better to each other? And I was like, super into it. Like, so stoked so they the guy reached out to me just to pretty much be like you're kind of doing this we're making a movie about it I just want to connect with you I feel like we should talk so he and I his name is Sean Mulvihill he's an awesome guy we connected and became friend acquaintances and um I my husband was like you should ask if he thinks that Colin would write the forward for your book and he put uh, me in touch with the right people and Colin agreed to do it and I screamed really loud in my house (laughs) And then bought a dinner I couldn't afford. (laughs) Wow. So Colin didn't know of you until you were connected with him and then. Yeah. 
just things just lining up how they need to. Yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> and because I saw that he wrote the foreword, then I had to go and because I remember whose line is it anyway from I think it was my first flight internationally flying to Singapore. I was probably 27. It's a while ago. And I was pregnant with my baby who's now a full-grown human being. Um, and I still remember a line about rhinoplasty. Like they just did this whole poem about surgery or something. And I I did actually go looking for that on YouTube the other day. Didn't find that <laughs> that one. I found another one about surgery. But um, so I think a lot of it would be familiar with whose line is it anyway. But I loved how Colin wrote about, you know, how he did improv professionally. I also loved this line about how he, it gave him a career that didn't exist when he was a kid. And mm -hmm. I just think that is our world right now. Um, I mean, yeah. obviously it's a while since he's been, since that show started, I don't know when, but now we live in a time where people are in careers that didn't exist 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I love that. So when I heard you say, or when I saw something on Facebook or LinkedIn the other day about how all of life is improv. And then I told my yes. chiropractor that, and she's like, I can't wait to hear more about this. <laughs> yes. So, thank you. Brand ambassador. If you get enough people to read the book, I'll come lead a book discussion in Australia. Well, that sounds really fun. <laughs> I would that's love a, to. That's a very good idea. So the other thing that struck me about, and I know there's so many things that you could share. The, the thing that really stood out to me last night as I was listening to the book, it took me, for, I should have just sat down and read the book because it took me forever to kind of work out how do I get my computer to read this book to me? <laughs> So I did that. Then the screen kept shutting down. And I'm like, this whole thing is a comedy of errors. And you're a comedian. So I'm sure you're okay with this. But what jumped out and confronted me, I think, in a good way, <laughs> is your, well, apparent comfort in sharing the most embarrassing stories. <laughs> and so I was telling my husband this morning about how you know, you shared this story about, you know, being in church and the left side of your jeans. Maybe you can tell us that story. Sure. And I was like, I'm sure I've got embarrassing stories, but like, have I just shut them away somewhere? Like, I think I, I feel inspired to, I don't know if anyone else told you this, but I feel inspired to sit down and write down all the mistakes and like embarrassing moments of my life. Cause there must be some good material there. Well, you know, it's interesting because, um, Somebody asked me a question a couple days ago who bought the book and their team is reading it together. And she had this really specific question. And I honestly was like, I don't remember what it says in the book. Like, so I had to like open it up and read. And I was like, oh, yes, now I know. But anyhow, when I reread that introduction, I was like, yep, that did happen, though. Like that, that certainly is a real thing that happened in my life. And I remember thinking, I hope that people, when they're reading this introduction, don't panic and think the only solution to working through the things that cause me shame is like broadcasting them or like uh, publishing just for listeners benefit. In the introduction, I share this story about ripping a hole in my pants by accident while I was sitting in church and I happened to be wearing uh, not full coverage underwear that day. And so I was exposed, as we shall say. Um, and I also went to, I'm a Mennonite. I went to a Mennonite college. And so <laughs> 
exposing naked butt skin is not preferred in Mennonite church. I don't know about other religions. It's not preferred in Mennonite church. Um, so it's super embarrassing. And then I go on to share another story that's pretty embarrassing. And the reason for sharing them, though, is just this understanding that when we have these things that we feel embarrassed by, it can feel so limiting. It can feel like this, that's the kind of person I am. I can't do brave things because I'm the kind of person whose butt's hanging out by accident. Like I can't do these kind of things because whatever. And so for me, there has been so much shame recovery, so much resilience and so much confidence on the other side of just being like, you know what? It happened and shame can't live in the light. That's a thing that I have learned from my dear future friend, Brene Brown shame cannot live in the light, you know? And so uh, for me, it's been super empowering to share these stories in, uh, you know, a comical way. And that is not required in order for moving through shame. Like if your way of processing what has happened in your life is not sharing in a packed comedy theater, the thing that causes you the most humiliation, that's totally fine. The, the point of the book is to help you own your story, own all the parts of your story. And truly with the spirit of yes, and that is improv, you know, like the yes is not about thinking that everything that's happened is good necessarily, but the yes is about acceptance. And then the and is about autonomy, you know? Mm -hmm. And so marrying these two things together, that is the spirit of improv. Yes. And is the foundation of improv and it's the foundation of forgiveness too, the way I teach it. So that's yeah. the spirit of the book is just accepting what exists, not judging it, not needing to try to erase it, not hiding from it, um, accepting it and knowing every good thing is still available in the future. Yeah, that's absolutely beautiful. And oh, I feel like we could just be in the moment with those thoughts. <laughs> Because it's gold. You know, we're all flawed human beings. We all struggle with different um, clumsiness or mistakes and awkwardness and shame. And, and so I, I love that. Uh, and I'm thinking when you mentioned Brene, I'm just thinking, okay, how do we get your book into Brene's hands? She is going to love it. She, <laughs> she hasn't read your book yet. <laughs> I don't think she has. Once Colin read or agreed to write the forward, I was like, I'm invincible. <laughs> and so it's like, I'm going to reach out to everyone for advanced praise. And so I reached out to Brene's people and I got the kindest no ever from a woman named Cookie who was like, who the shit? Or no, she was just like, <laughs> what she said was very kind and respectful. And Brene, if you hear this, I'm not knocking Cookie at all. She was very kind to me and informed me that you were on sabbatical. <laughs> yes, yes. And I, I love that she was on sabbatical because it just helped me feel more um, justified perhaps or normal about my sabbatical because a dear friend mm. who I do some work with recommended to me at the start of last year that I take a sabbatical. And I went, well, I kind of feel like the first two years of the pandemic has been sabbatical anyway. Like <laughs> I've been grounded and, you know, just my international speaking business is just ground to a halt. Um, but actually taking a sabbatical to do some deep work yeah I haven't actually said it on the podcast I've, I've called it my year of meaningful conversations but where those mm. meaningful conversations have taken me has been really fascinating and so you turn up in my world and I'm like wow this is amazing even more learning 
Um, so I'd love to hear more about, well, so yes, and is also part of the mental fitness coaching that I do with Shazad Shamim mm. from Stanford. I don't know if you're familiar with, with Shazad's positive intelligence work, but yes, and it's so beautiful for innovating and having creative conversations with people and moving people forward. And so this is not new to me, but the the idea of forgiveness, I think, can you just let's dig deep mm. into this because we do think of forgiveness as being as being something for you know the big dramas or traumas in life mm. the big mm-hmm. the great offenses but to I mean you know I can see how we can forgive people in traffic and um you know live more lightly and freely but yeah share with us more and what sparked this like how did the idea for this book come together mm. Okay. Several questions. Yes. So, okay. Um, so I'll start with, um, maybe I think it would be good for me to provide my definition of forgiveness mm-hmm. because I know that there's a lot of resistance and a lot of discomfort around that word, which is the reason why I chose the subtitle, the world's least favorite F word. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way that I teach forgiveness, it is not about looking back at trauma, oppression, injustice, whatever the most painful things are in our story or in the story of the world. It's not about looking back at that and being like, I'm fine with it. I can like reactivate those memories without reactivating any feelings. That's not how brains work. Yeah. And that's unrealistic. So the way that I teach forgiveness is that it's this acceptance piece that I just shared. Mm -hmm. And so what I teach is that forgiveness is not just an idea, but it's a behavior. And the behavior of forgiveness is when we reactivate a memory that is causing us pain. I've never said it just like this, and I'm really stoked that this is happening right now. When we reactivate a memory about something that causes us pain, we interrupt that memory from continuing to just play out and continuing to ask questions like, what kind of person would do that? Why did I do that? Why did somebody else do that to me? What should I have done differently? Like those types of questions that we sort of naturally ask as we rehash our pain. Instead of that, we interrupt with a different question. What must I believe is not possible for me in the future because of that situation? That is the only reason that that memory has its hooks inside of you right now. You believe in some way, shape, or form that because that happened, your freedom, growth, expansion, income, relationships, joy, whatever it is that you're thinking, like in some way, shape, or form, you think that because that happened, now you can't what? And so what has become so healing for me is to stop that in my head with that question, ooh, what limiting belief am I holding right now? And write it down. Because you can't write as fast as you can think. And when you sort of force yourself to slow down a little bit and get really specific, you can really call out your amygdala on some bullshit and be like, hey, it's absolutely not the case that because this person was dishonest and got a promotion instead of me that now I can't succeed. That's absolutely not true. In fact, there are hundreds of ways I could achieve what I hope to achieve. There is a vast horizon of possibility for how I could get where I want to be. That's the deep truth. Life is improv. There's infinity ways (laughs) for things to turn out great, you know? 
So that's my definition of improv. It's not this amorphous, spiritual, reserved only for priests thing. It's a behavior. And the behavior is choosing autonomy. Your other question was, um, how did I frame up the book? Like, what was the impetus for me to even marry improv with forgiveness? So um, I love that question. I'm trying to think of the most concise answer. Um, As I share in the book, trigger warning here, um, I am a survivor of childhood sexual assault. And this happened to me in my church. And broader framework, almost all of the men in my family are pastors. And so church is like a huge part of my life. We attended three times a week. Bible study happened at our house. We were like church people. And so... A positive part of this is that when I reported what happened to me, my mother believed me immediately, filed the police report. It turned out that this person had done that to a bunch of other little girls in our church, and he went to jail. Like, there was accountability. There were consequences. A con of my story is that I was still raised in that church, and I was still raised inside purity culture, where it's like women especially are like purity is like the most treasured part of you, you know? And so it was really hard for me to reconcile feeling as though I wasn't this thing that I needed to be in order to be acceptable. And that really was a hard thing for me to deal with. And it stayed hard until after I was married. And so what I came to realize is that, um, oh, so many things that forgiveness for me wasn't about letting somebody off the hook without accountability. There already had been that. That already had, he already was in jail. Yeah. You know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't that he was getting let off the hook if I forgave him. Mm -hmm. It was that I did not believe it was safe to trust men. I was afraid of how adults interact with children. I felt really weird and uncomfortable around changing diapers and doing these sorts of things. And it was really hard for me to just like trust myself as like a safe adult. And so for me, walking the process of forgiveness was like, oh, I am so much more than that part of my story. Like I am allowed to be however I want to be. <laughs> like I, I, it is safe for me to trust my husband. It is safe for me to trust myself. It is safe for me to become a mother. Like that was the product of forgiveness for me. And in so many ways, it was becoming an improviser that unlocked those ideas in my head because improv erased all these notions of there's a script and you're not sticking to it. You know, like this is how life has to go. This is the kind of person you have to be. Well, you are a Christian girl. And so you need to be nice and keep your shoulders covered. And that's your job. Be pretty, marry a pastor. Like I sort of (laughs) felt like those were the expectations. And nobody said that to me. I want to be very fair that I grew up around lots of loving people. I want to be very fair in, in all of this, but you can receive messages that nobody intends to give you, Yeah, you know, and then that was certainly, I think the case a lot of the time, but here comes improv into my life. And it's like, what if you say the F word, what's going to happen? Like the police aren't going to come. Like, what if you drink an alcohol with other adults? <laughs> like, 
it might be okay, you know? So then all of a sudden, it's just like this world of possibility. Like the, the idea of what if was introduced into my life and this whole spirit of curiosity instead of judgment and just what an incredibly beautiful thing it is to believe that we can build something unexpected together, no matter what. Like yeah. how freaking freedom creating is that, you know? Oh, that's amazing. So, and I didn't do much of an intro at the beginning, but you were a social worker and you became a comedian. That, sorry. That's all right. <laughs> I, I was just thinking, oh, maybe we could just do a little intro at the, at the end and put it at the beginning. Um, sure. But yeah, it's yeah. okay. Where, you know, my friends come to this podcast to listen to real conversations, people connecting and talking about connecting and building confidence. Um, so, I'm just wondering um, yeah, so many questions in my head, too. And, I just think this conversation can be whatever it turns out to be. I know it's yeah, great. It's, it's, it's been improv. wonderful. It's been wonderful since like the before I even hit record. <laughs> so, tell us about how did you start with improv? Like, was that during school or was it later? Oh no, it's so fun. Um, so I was a social worker. While I was social working, I had this idea for an app. Okay. I don't know how to make apps, but I pitched this idea at Startup Weekend, which is like a pitch event where um, there's judges, they pick a winner, you kind of recruit a team of people. Um, maybe, I don't know, if maybe that kind of thing happens. I'm pretty sure it happens all over the world. But anyhow, so I pitched this idea and we spend a weekend building some sort of like prototype of it and we won. And so then I was like working full time and trying to get this app off the ground and like pouring all of our very few dollars we had anyway into this thing. And I had no idea what I was doing. I was super young. I did a terrible job being in charge of it and it crashed and burned in a year. Um, but while I was doing this part of winning startup weekend was that we got to go to any of the workshops offered through the Pittsburgh Tech Council. And one of the workshops was called Improv for CEOs. And so when um, Share Closet, which was the name of this app that I was trying to get off the ground, when it became abundantly clear, people are like, we are out of money. <laughs> like, what are we doing? So when it became clear that it's like, all right, we we're looking for jobs is what we're doing. Um, I finally had time. So I went to this workshop improv for CEOs because I was sad. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, this sounds like fun. I, this seems like a fun thing to do. And I was like, I've always been hilarious. So I'm probably going to do really good at this workshop. And because um, <laughs> I'm weirdly competitive. So I, <laughs> it's so stupid. So I go to this workshop and everybody else is an actual CEO of a real thing. You know, they're all like in their 60s, 50s and 60s. And they're like in charge of actual things. And I'm like, I'm 23 and in charge of a burning pile of dog crap. So like, try not to covet. That's a sin. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I don't know why I'm so silly. It's the end of the day where I am. And I think just all of my professional parts of my brain are just asleep. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so I went to this thing and I knew it would be fun. But it was like going to church. Like it was so deeply beautiful watching. Like, I mean, they freaking introduce us to this and they're like, 
you guys who all have like, well, I felt like they all had a lot in common and I felt very different than, <laughs> than them. But this sense of like watching them choose to be silly and how vulnerable that was for them, how so very vulnerable it was for them. And watching them learn this idea of like, you keep listening, even when it gets weird, you like listen past that initial instinct to run away. (laughs) You just hang in there and you discover what it will become together. I just was like, holy crap, what a beautiful way to love each other. Like, what are you telling me that what improv is, is sacrificial support of your scene partner, just like laying your pride out to dry so that you can get out there and help your scene partner build something that you don't even know what it's going to be. Like, if that's not what Jesus was trying to do in the world, I don't know what is (laughs) like it, it. It was just like this beautiful thing for me that was like, I could talk about this for literally hours and I promise I'll land the plane here. but. For me, it was just like, this is amazing. This idea of committing to the present moment, listening to the people around you, the incredible vulnerability, um, the optimism, the resilience, like the immersion therapy and recovering after failure. I mean, it was just like, so good, so good, so good. So I knew I got to get to this theater. And so when officially Share Closet, like, officially, officially was done. And I found a different job. I had tickets to the theater from that workshop. And I, my husband and I went and I was like, I got to get on that stage. These are my people. I feel it in my bones. So then I just started taking a bunch of classes and auditioning and that's how it all happened. (laughs) Wow. I I just feel like I've just been on I like that you said you're going to land the plane because I'm like, oh yeah, I am on a trip with you right now. Just like so in this. Um, wow, let's just dig into the love in this. Mm. And being Please. with people in a way that allows them to be themselves, explore this like creative, quirky, whatever kind of idea. Um it's yeah, like improv or getting on some kind of stage, or I mean, even in improv, you're not on stage you're just in a room with like a bunch of other people everyone's just being awkward but it's yeah it's about that letting go Mm. oh yes the surrender oh my gosh can we talk about surrender because I feel like there it directly connects to love I'm sure we'll find that connection yes um so like in improv there are absolutely objectives that we need to achieve you know Mm -hmm. like once you're on a house team that's like owned by the theater, put together by the theater. Um, they need you to do a good job together. They need people to buy tickets and come back and tell their friends and leave reviews. And, you know, like it's a business. And so there are these objectives. And then as individual performers, people have varying lo- objectives. Some mm-hmm. people, it's just for fun. And it's just this hilarious, joyful outlet that they either do or don't tell their coworkers about at their day job. (laughs) And other people are like, I'm trying to get to Saturday Night Live, which across cultural boundaries is like the comedy show um, on NBC. And a lot of times improvisers are like, that's how I can like make it or something. Yeah. Um, Anyhow, so you might have your own goals as a performer to like, 
do it for real, so to speak, which, what does that even mean? But like get paid to be a comedian, you know? Um, so the ask of improv is like, can you hold all of that lightly? Can yeah. you just like surrender those objectives and just be fully present with each other and just trust that if you make each other the priority, oh, it's so good. Make each other the priority. Find whatever it's going to be together. Can you trust that those objectives will be met and will be met better? Better. When you just trust each other, than if you have a white knuckled death grip on getting discovered. It's like the harder you try, (laughs) you know, to just like, ah, choke the life out of the show so that people will have a good time. Like, that's just not how it works. You know, like you have to trust that it's not your job to worry about the audience. It's your job to worry about your scene partner. That's your only job is your scene partner. Yeah. And, and something that I read last night is about seeing your scene partner or like just in everyday life where you're you know talking to strangers meeting someone on a train or in a new networking scenario or something you're meeting someone for the first time and you're seeing the genius in them you're seeing the best in them this is something I read last night in your book about um yeah can you and I highlighted something just before we started um can you share that with us yeah, absolutely. There's somebody. Del Close. Del, sorry. Yeah, sorry, it's okay. Del. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> um, yeah, he talks about treating your scene partner like a creative genius. This is what I'm saying right now is not going to be an exact quote, but this idea of treating people like a creative genius in order to give them space to become that. Yeah. And just this understanding that when you treat somebody like you believe that they're a creative genius you give them space to show you that. Yeah. But if you treat people like they're not up to snuff and what are they even doing and you saw their audition and you can't believe that they're on the team with the likes of you. Well, I was getting all dramatic and my hair flip turned into a mic (laughs) flip. (laughs) Um, Anyways, so it's just this idea of like people can feel what you believe about them. You know, like people can feel what you believe about them and you really set, you know, the ceiling for what can be achieved with someone by the way you show up. And I remember this must have been maybe the second improv class that I took. I think it was the second improv class I took. There was a girl in the class who was about my age. Um super different from me. Lots of facial piercings, lots of dark makeup, lots of tattoos. I have a tattoo, so I am cool and I can hang. Um, (laughs) But like lots of different colors in her hair and this sort of thing. Obviously, there is nothing wrong with any of that, just to be clear. And my context that I come from is like genuinely like, she might be a witch. I might need to be afraid. (laughs) Like If I get it wrong, she might cast a spell on me. Like, I mean, just literally that level of like goofy judgment, like truth, truthfully what's happening in my head around like, she has the the star with the circle around it tattooed on her hand and spiky jewelry and all this. So I'm just like, I don't know. And then I remembered 
this idea in improv, I remember learning it in our level one class, treat your scene partner like a creative genius. And so I decided as soon as she walked in the room and I knew she was in the class, I was like, I am going to be in as many scenes with her as I can. If she gets out on stage, I'm out on stage. If she's doing something, and she also was very quiet. And it was clear that she was like putting herself out there to be in this class. And I think she had even shared when we all said like our reasons for taking the class that it was like she wanted to just get more confident. And I was like, all right, I, I have her back. That is my objective in this class. And at the end of the class, she wrote me the sweetest note about, well, I don't need to get all into it, but just no, tell us, it tell made us. me so happy that I had never told her that in my head, I saw you and I felt fear. And then I immediately was like, follow the fear. I am going to like, I am singling you out in my head as someone that I am not going to be afraid of. And I am going to like be in scenes with you. I of course did not say that to her, but she wrote this note about how like, she always felt really supported and all this. And I was like, this makes me so happy that like, she wasn't somebody that I needed to be afraid of. Like all of these preconceived notions that I had in my head. And I don't mean to be Pollyanna about stuff because what I know for sure is that there are times we are fearful of people because they want us to be afraid of them or because there is a history there or there's a reason. And so there is no erasure in any of this. There's no obligation in any of this. There is only what if. <laughs> there is only this invitation to like be real with yourself and like really ask yourself the brave question of how much do I really have to be afraid of right now? Am I sure beyond the shadow of a doubt that I need to be afraid right now? Or is there a chance that brave questions, genuine curiosity instead of judgment and time <laughs> could create something here, you know, that's really special that surprises both of us. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think as you have those experiences and reflect on them, then it it builds your, I guess it builds your case for those other moments where you connect with someone. And I like that you said, should I be afraid of her? Because you you realize that your conditioning was to be fearful of someone who's so different. And I think everyone's got that kind of conditioning in some way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> someone's different. They're from a particular culture or they're just from any other culture. And so, yeah, there's that fear response. And then it's like, what if I look for the potential in them? What if I look for mm-hmm. the um, the best in them? And, uh, yeah, and being mindful to be in a safe environment. But it's amazing when you are looking for the best in people, you see that. It's like you you give it, you breathe life on it to let it blossom. And mm-hmm. so it would be so rewarding to see that girl, you know, come alive in that situation. Yeah. And it's not uncommon. I don't think I've ever shared that story on a podcast before, but when I have shared similar ideas about just giving people, this is a quote that I have, that I share somewhat frequently, which is that your scene partner can't surprise you if you don't give them the opportunity, you know, and then whose fault is that? <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, not theirs, but you know, people have pushed back different times and been like, well, what about the times when you're brave and you decide to be vulnerable and then someone's just an asshole, like someone just is nasty to you. Someone just is hurtful and mean. Well, since I'm a human person who's 35 and has been 
doing brave conversations for a long time. That of course has happened to me. <laughs> like, yeah. that, yes, like certainly that happens. And to me, it's like, well, good thing there's this amazing book about forgiveness. I don't know if you've heard. Um, so there's that, but it's also just this sense of like, this is why it's good to know that boundaries are not the enemy of optimism, you know, like having healthy boundaries, having like clear consequences and accountability. That's not dishonoring your scene partner. One of the core five concepts that I teach in the book, which I think you probably have read based on where you say you are in the book, is this idea of honoring your scene partner. And, you know, it's easy when we try to apply this in life to think that means, well, I'll just give them the benefit of the doubt every time and not tell them how I'm feeling, not tell them how they made me feel or, you know, hiding from the hard conversations out of a sense of respect or loyalty. And if you're listening, instead of seeing, I put both of those words in air quotes, because that's not what trust looks like. That's not what respect looks like. That's what fear looks like. You know, like that's how you know you're afraid of someone if you're not willing to say what needs to be said. But let's not avoid confrontation and pretend that that's how you respect someone. Yeah, I'm just sitting with that. <laughs> this is gold. This is like such gold. So I feel like there's there's so much um, overlap or in what you're sharing is like what I experienced in my very first coach training weekend in 2004. The being aware of judgments and filters and hotspots, things that get in the way for us and to just be curious and be open. And I think for a lot of us, the curiosity gets squished throughout education you know where we're going to school and being told this is what it is this is how it is this is because the teacher said so and there's not time for a teacher to address the curiosity of like 25 excited kids <laughs> so mm -hmm. we stop asking those questions of what if and um you know what else what else is possible you know I've got this little mirror I haven't got one here in reach um but I I give it to clients in workshops often it's just a little mirror that, you know, because we hold up a mirror to our thinking. We like we can use mm. mirrors for like a you know a dozen different things. But I've just printed on the front of it, what else? And then yeah. cheering you on, kerryphipps.com. Uh, just in small print at the bottom. But this big what else question because we we get stuck in our thinking. But if we're asking ourselves a question based in curiosity mm. and love, as you shared, and openness. It's, it's just incredible what can unfold from that um, in our own life and in the lives of others. Mm -hmm. So I, I was curious, do you talk to strangers in your everyday life? Do you find yourself just having yeah. a chat? Yeah. Yeah, I'm hard to travel with. <laughs> I will make it take longer to get through a museum or like. <laughs> so tell us what you love about talking to strangers. I love hearing people's stories. Yeah. I love hearing people's stories. I there's about a jillion examples that I could think of, but the one that strikes me in this moment is that about a year actually, a year ago, right? It might be a year ago today. Wow. That's weird and spooky mm -hmm. timing. I only remember because it was a couple of days after my birthday. My birthday was on 
Sunday. Anyway, um, so my husband and I were in Mexico for vacation and there was this couple uh, at the same resort where we were staying and I struck up a conversation with her and it turned out that she's Russian had spent most of her life from the time she was, I think she said eight years old in Austin, Texas with her mom. And that's where they lived now. And they had just gotten married. They were on their honeymoon. And so I'm just asking about all this. And when she mentioned that she was from Russia, it was just a couple days. Like we got the news about the Russian invasion into Ukraine while we were in Mexico. And I just remember watching being like, oh my gosh, like what is happening? And just hearing her share about um, the conversations that she was trying to have with people who were still in Russia and like trying to do some of that peace building work of like, hey, is there any way you can anchor to truth? <laughs> like, is there any way that you can anchor to truth? And there's not any huge moral of the story here, uh, really. It just was incredible to hear her story and and to go from being people who were co-drinking mojitos on the beach to people who were like really talking about something that was heartbreaking, you know, yeah. and just feeling the sense of like real human connection. Mm. Um, I don't know. I think it's easy when you are an empathetic person to get really lonely and really afraid when you look at the news and it's, only in having those kinds of conversations with strangers that you realize how incredibly true it is that you have millions of scene partners all over the world yeah. <laughs> that are advocating for things you can't advocate for. They're speaking in rooms that you're not in. And just because you don't see it, that doesn't mean the work isn't happening. I love that you shared that because about this time last year, I was in Sydney and mm. I was at a hotel and the young guy at the bar, I said, oh, where's your lovely accent from? And he said, well, my dad's Russian, but my mom's German. And like, we, we don't agree with this. And it was like, he suddenly became very defensive yeah. and, and like fearful that he was going to be judged for being part Russian. Mm -hmm. And I just, it just kind of compelled me to think about having more conversations with people about, mm -hmm. um, you know, being open and just hearing people's stories and and not judging people based on where they're from or, you know, I just thought it would yeah. be hard to be him right now. Yeah. It was, it was clearly hard to be him right now because um, there's obviously judgment and the things that people say. And, you know, I know a lot of police officers and, and, uh, and mm -hmm. soldiers, and sometimes the, I've just started reading a book and uh, by a um, special forces policeman and the questions that people ask at barbecues, it's like, it's tough to be who they are and do what they do in the world because people who don't understand their world can just make awful judgments. And so I guess mm -hmm. that it's powerful for us to have these conversations, even if we can't do anything, A, we've been a listening ear for them, which is a gift to them when obviously mm -hmm. they've encountered other strangers who are being harsh and judgmental or weird. <laughs> um, so we can just be a ray of sunshine in their day, but also it can compel us more to be looking out for how can we be more welcoming? How can we be more inclusive mm. for, for mm -hmm. people like them? So they don't know, like that lady on the beach and that guy in the, the, um, the Sydney restaurant, um, they don't know that we're still having this conversation because we're, mm -hmm. you know, every day wanting to make a difference in the world. 
and uh, and they've impacted us and our story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We well, need each other. You. We do, and we need each other's stories. And I think when we really sink into listening, and I was talking to someone yesterday and they were saying how, you know, silent is the same lesson, same letters as listen, and we can... <sighs> yes that was that was me yesterday but I thought it's not just being silent it's also asking questions with mm-hmm. curiosity with ju- with um you know an awareness of the judgments that can come to our mind that we need to let go of and uh, mm-hmm. know, I guess letting and the go. way that we let go of them is by deeply knowing that accountability doesn't have to happen in that exact conversation, people are so afraid to choose curiosity instead of judgment because they're so afraid of there not being consequences or there not being accountability. Or what if this was my one chance to talk to a police officer that was going to go shoot someone and I didn't set him straight. And it's like, trust the ensemble. Yeah. Like it's not your job in every conversation to fix people or change people or whatever. In fact, one of the things that I share in the book, oh, I'm opening up a whole can of worms. We can just cut it earlier before that. I don't mean to, yeah. No, no. Go, go with the can of worms. It's We're loving it. This idea that um, we never need to change people. It's never mm-hmm. about changing who they are. It's only ever about co-growing with them. Like, both people doing the work to be more of who they really are because who people really are is not hateful who people Mm. really are is not bigoted who people really are is not racist there those are beliefs misguided ideas fears bad habits that are built on top it's like this ugly yucky crust that gets built on top of who they are because reasons because culture parenting trauma whatever life experience whatever the goal is not change who you are, who you are is bad and not good. Be somebody different and better. The goal is, do you remember who you really are? Like that, that being of love that you really are. In the book, I say this also, that we call the act of making more people making love. Like we are love, you know, and there's so many reasons why we forget that and why we get detached from that. But anytime someone is showing you not the best of who they are or anytime you're seeing maybe maybe real evidence this is not about erasure it's not about pretending that bad things don't happen and hurtful things don't get said it's about wondering like can you believe that your scene partner is more than the worst thing about them can you believe that we're all more than the worst thing about us can you trust that behind that ugly belief that you've just now seen there is a person of love who can be held accountable to that love. And this is like a start of a long conversation that, that could be had sometime. And um, I know listeners might be like, that's a lot to take in. And what about like, I'm sure that they're probably thinking about like a worst case scenario person. And bottom line, what I just hope people take away from my work is that I believe it's safe to be optimistic. And I feel like I see evidence of that everywhere. And it might be true that there are some people who, because of whatever the reasons are, 
have become broken beyond the point of reattachment to love. Maybe that's true. I would like to think it's not, but maybe it's true. But that's not most people. And I have had the opportunity so many times now to breathe, remember who I am, not be afraid of silence, (laughs) walking into these brave conversations, and then hear from someone that I used to think I needed to be afraid of, something that they would not have been able to share had I come in accusing them, had I come in with labels, had I come in all this. There's a way to have these conversations where someone can show you a softer, more vulnerable, more open version of themselves. And anyhow, what I hope to do in the book is equip people to have more of those experiences wherever it's possible. But even more than that, to know that they don't need anybody else in order to set themselves emotionally free and be the people they mean to be more consistently. That's what forgiveness does. And you don't need to wait on an apology or on somebody else forgiving you or anything. You don't need to wait on any of that. It's not about anybody else. You can do this work inside of yourself. And when you do, you will be who you mean to be more consistently. That's gold. You know, it's like that self-acceptance starts before we really accept others, that forgiving ourselves mm-hmm. and allowing ourselves to be clumsy, awkward, failed humans, <laughs> failing humans, um, mm-hmm. to be able to, you know, it's like, I mean, sometimes I think one of the most beautiful things that happened in my coach training was being able to laugh at myself Mm. (laughs) rather than beat myself up and go, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that. I didn't, you know, I didn't do that right. Or um, yeah, to be able to, to laugh and accept, Uh, you know, and it's, I didn't, I wish I got it all in that weekend 18 years later (laughs) and I'm still, (laughs) it's still learning all these lessons. So I just feel like this whole conversation is absolute gold and yet we could have so many more conversations. Is there anything else that you would like to say? to wrap up for now. Well, I guess I hope that you'll check out my book, The Funny Thing About Forgiveness. Um, I have an online community called the Mindful Improv Community. It's free. Um, And it's a global network of people that are using these ideas of mindful improv thinking, um, which is the combination of mindfulness practice alongside improvised comedy skills. And they're using these ideas in so many ways to advocate for making the world a braver, kinder, safer place in whatever way is theirs to do in the world. Um, And so on my website and beyondimprov.com, you can sign up for that. And yeah, it's for free. And I'd love for them to join. That's beautiful. I Well, I want to join. Do you do like live Zooms that we can jump in on? Yeah, I do that. Um, sometimes like mindful improv mini retreats, I call those. And I also send out um, weekly notes of mindful improv encouragement and things of that nature. So anything you do like afternoons, evenings, I'm there. Okay. <laughs> Although Perfect. there's like three in the morning and I don't function too well at that time. Yes, I can understand. There's yeah. like a week difference in our time zones. So I'm not sure how. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for your time, for um, jumping into a conversation with a stranger. I just love it. So, yeah, you will see me when I get the book in the mail, you will see me doing a little Facebook or Instagram live talking about this. Yes, thank (laughs) you. I will be sharing the joy. I'd love for you to take a picture of like holding the book somewhere in Australia 
Like, I just love seeing all the places the book has made it at this point. So maybe like if you can get a kangaroo in the background, my understanding is that there's just kangaroos everywhere in Australia. Is that correct? Well, one jumped across the road in front of me this morning. Um, Are you serious? Yeah, but they don't pose for photos. Um, oh, well, I did get maybe my just son, ask it nicely. <laughs> actually, you would, you would love this. My son, who had just had um, rhinoplasty, actually, <laughs> he had a nose job as a teenager because he was born with a cleft lip and he couldn't breathe properly. Mm. So they said when he's an adult, he'll get a nose job. So he just had that. So he's not allowed to do sports. He's got to like, um, you know, just kind of live sedately for about six weeks, not do drama at school because, you know, they're throwing swords around the stage and everything. Oh, yeah. Um, But we pull into this street where they were like building new houses. And so all these kangaroos that had that edge of town to themselves were kind of like, we don't know what to do with all this traffic. And it was raining and this kangaroo like bounced across the road and he fell over and he kind of slid out sideways in front of us. And so that was hilarious. But then I turned the car around and they went into like this housing block and it wasn't very big. So I gave gave my son the camera and I said, quick, get a photo or get some video. So he gets out of the car and the kangaroos, there was a couple of them bouncing around. And one of them like went across the road behind us, but the other one started coming straight towards him kangaroos are not tame and if they're bouncing towards you like they can that's probably not good (laughs) no they can kick you and literally cut you open like from you know the chest bone down you know so they can that's horrifying it it is horrifying and so you're ruining kangaroos for me (laughs) (laughs) there are places where tourists are like feeding bananas to kangaroos it's like not advised because then they they want to come to all the campgrounds and like pester everybody but you know what Hmm. um having said that yeah so my son like rapidly got in the car like only just it was hilarious it was like yeah and then I was thinking I'm putting my son in danger like he's being a responsible young adult (laughs) looking after looking after his nose job but um I'm just like get out there in the face of danger and get a good photo Uh, but I'll see what I can do. I'll get a photo of your book uh, somewhere interesting. Yes, thank you. That's, uh, I that's would love of, that. One of my missions for the year. Um, I look forward <laughs> to connecting more with you and um, likewise yeah, seeing you down under, or like I'll pop over and visit you one day. So thank oh my you gosh, so much, I would love to come. Thank you so much for having <laughs> me. This has been wonderful. So so wonderful. Thank you.